Good morning, Journey Church International. Yes, uh, my name is Marcellus Clay- Casey. I'm really glad to be here with you all this morning. Glad to be able to preach God's word with you. Um, there is never a time where like you have to twist my arm uh, to come and preach God's word. Uh, my dad is a preacher. My Both of my great-grandfathers were preachers. I've always wanted to be a preacher. My favorite preacher is Dr. Tony Evans. You guys like Tony Evans? I always thought I would like be like him. I'd like practice his voice. Like, you see, there's always a way (laughs) to understand God's scripture. (laughs) Like you've never seen it before. (laughs) I love how he always makes, so he makes his point so clear. Like, you know, I try to be like him, like with all of his illustrations and stuff, you know, and and he, he takes something so simple. It's like, you see, my dog loves to walk. And you're like, okay. But if a dog is no longer putting one foot in front of the other, he is no longer walking. And you're like, oh, man, that is it. (laughs) I never understood Revelation like that. Um, But, yeah, I appreciate my family being here this morning, my wife, Stephanie. um, My son, my youngest, seven years old, he's back um, with the kids. My oldest, Salem, 13, is here. Uh, Cora, my second oldest, 11, is here. Vivian, our eight-year-old, is here, and uh, just glad to glad to be with you all. So let's pray, and uh, we'll dig into God's Word. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, being with us right now. And God, I pray that your power and your voice would speak to us. That God, as we gather in your name, that we wouldn't be gathered here in vain. God, I pray that um, people that are coming to church for the very first time, or maybe people that are coming to church today and they haven't been in a long time, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. And for folks that have been going to church for a long time, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts in a really fresh way. I pray that you would speak to my heart in a fresh way that changes me. God, I pray that you would transform us and make us new and make us different. In the name of Jesus, amen. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22 says, When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Um, There's two things that that most human beings always want to know is available to them. What's up, Kellen? Uh, The first is that, number one, I have a home. I have a roof over my head. The second is, man, I know that tomorrow God is going to provide my needs. I'm going to have food. I'm going to have shelter. I'm going to have an inheritance that is going to last me for my lifetime. So there's two things that people always want to know that they're going to have. Number one is a roof over their head and an inheritance, something that God, knowing that God is going to provide for them for a long time. Um, For most of my ministry life, I've been in ministry for 16 years. I've been married for 16 years. And for most of my ministry life, I've always worked with athletes. 
Um, at University of Illinois, we had athletes that would come from all over the country, Texas, uh, Washington, D.C., Chicago, and all of these guys, many of them that came from the inner city, man, the reason why they wanted to play college football is because they wanted to go to the NFL. Many of, the, many of our college basketball players wanted to make it to the NBA, And the reason was is because they wanted to provide a home, they wanted to have a home, and they wanted to make sure that they had an inheritance, something that was going to last them and their families for a really long time. Um, As the chaplain with the Kansas City Chiefs, um, this is one of the couple of weeks of the year where guys feel the most pressure. Like we get new guys, we get rookies, we get guys that get traded from other teams, and they're here and they are trying to make a living. So number one, make sure that they have a roof over their head and make sure that they have financial security for the rest of their lives. And it's unimaginable pressure. Like a lot of people look at it and it's like, man, they make so much money and they've got this and they've got that. But so many of the guys are under a lot of pressure. I keep up with our guys that go to other teams or get traded. And and when they go to a city and they're away from their families and they are literally out there fighting for their families and fighting to make a living because they want to have a roof over their head and they want to have financial security and inheritance um, that will last them for a long time. So Jesus challenges these two things and he gives us as his disciples an opportunity to trust him more than we trust our home, to trust him more than we trust in an inheritance. Um, The first person that talks to Jesus says that they will follow him wherever he goes. But Jesus tells them, hey, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to rest. And what he's saying is, is I have not invested my life in a home. And to follow me means that you have to trust me more than you trust even the place where you lay your head at night. The next person comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I will follow you after I I bury my father. And what he was really saying essentially was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, wait until the long years until my father passes away. Then once he passes away, I'm going to receive an inheritance. I'm going to receive financial blessing from my father. And that is going to have me set up in such a secure way that Jesus, at that point, years down the road, I'll be able to follow you. And what Jesus says is, hey, I want you to leave that behind and I want you to follow me now. That's like us saying to, to Jesus, hey, when my 401k is all in shape and in order and I hit that perfect retirement age or when my financial portfolio is in a good place, once my, once my kids have graduated, once I've been able to set my life up and control my life in such a way, then Jesus, I'll follow you then. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want your heart now. What Jesus was preaching was nothing new to Jesus and was probably nothing new to the people that were listening to him. Um, We see all throughout the Old Testament this same theme, people that would literally leave their home, that would leave comforts, that would leave um, control of their lives, and they would step out on faith and follow after what God had for them. We see um, God speak to Abraham and he challenged Abraham to leave where he and his family lived at that point and to go to a place that they did not know to establish a family of faith. 
And this was a huge step for Abraham to gather all of his family, to gather all of his belongings and go to a new place into enemy territory. We see that God did the same thing with Moses in the Old Testament. Um, Moses was raised, he was, he was a Hebrew boy who was raised by the Egyptian people. He was raised with wealth. He was raised with political power. He was raised with cultural power. And he decided to lay all of that power down. He decided to lay all of that wealth down and to go and to partner with his people, the oppressed people, the people that didn't have any wealth the people that didn't have any cultural influence, the people that didn't have any power, and he partnered with them. He decided to partner with the oppressed instead of holding on to his own belongings. We see Rahab do the same thing. She was a prostitute, and her city was about to be invaded by God's people. And instead of helping her her city not be invaded, she allowed her home to be invaded by helping the spies that were God's people. She stepped out in faith and she allowed her home to be destroyed because she trusted in God more than she trusted in her home. We see God's people all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament give up so many things so that they can step out on faith. Man, I'll never forget um, going to college. I played college football at Northwest Missouri State University. Um, I was a top tier elite level walk on there. And... uh, (laughs) See, you guys got it. <laughs> we got some athletes in the building. Uh, I was just a walk-on. Um, so I'll never forget going up to Northwest Missouri State. I played, I played high school football here in Lee Summit. And my dad, um, just me and my dad went up um, to school that day. Um, we were there a couple weeks early. Nobody else was on campus. The football team gets there a couple weeks early um, to start practice before school starts. And I'll never forget my dad driving me up there. And both of us were like fighting back tears. You know, my dad is a pastor. He discipled me. He poured a lot into me relationally. And um, it was just it was just a very somber drive for me to leave my home and to step out on faith and to go there and to try to be a young man of God. Um, there was even more fear in my heart because my college coach, man, he he recruited heavily out of Nebraska and Iowa and there were bigger athletes there than I had ever seen before. And one of our linebackers, his name was Heath Finch. I'll never forget. My dad pulls up to the dorm to drop me off. And Heath is walking into the dorm with a refrigerator on one of his arms. (laughs) And my dad was like, Sellers, don't let these big white boys take your head off. Um, (laughs) But that was a time in my life where I really had to cling to my faith, where I really had to like embrace who God was. And I had to make faith my own. Um, I'll never forget after I graduated college and went into ministry. I was 23 years old. I was 22 years old when I went into ministry and got married. Um, Later that year in our first year of marriage, my wife and I, we bought our first home. We were 23 years old. We were all excited. We bought this house in Champaign, Illinois. Um, I was a chaplain at University of Illinois. So our house was just a couple of blocks from campus. I could walk to the football stadium, disciple guys. It It was the perfect setup. And when we left that house in 2011, we cried for months. I mean, it was one of the hardest things to leave that home. Um, My pastor lived right next door to me when we lived in that home. My accountability lived right around the corner. All of our little kids played together. My oldest two kids were born right there in the Champaign area. And it was really hard for us to leave that home, but we knew that God was calling us to Kansas City. 
So we had to fight through that pain and we had to engage our faith in a practical way. When we moved here to Kansas City in 2011, um, man, I, I took a I took a promotion um, with FCA with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and like I never I never thought I could make as much money as I was making in ministries. So I was like, I looked at my paycheck, I was like, man, this is crazy. So we we actually bought a house in Brookside in Kansas City. So it's a really nice neighborhood right near the plaza. I I just thought I had made it. I I knew I made it. Like we bought this house, we felt like it was a gift from God, and we lived there for almost ten years. And this was, this was our dream house. I mean, it was beautiful, um, beautiful neighborhood. We were, we were right by the trolley trail. Um, we were really close to Whole Foods. Our, our kids' school was, was just right down. We could bike to school. Everybody mowed their lawns. Like it was just, it was the perfect, the perfect little neighborhood. And, and, and we just loved it. And about two years ago, God called us to leave that house. And, and you talk about pain, like pain that my family, we still experience. Um, my kids look at Zillow and um, just a few weeks ago, the people that bought the house from us two years ago, put it back on the market. And my kids are like, dad, we want to go back. Can we buy the house again? And it's like, no, God has called us to be here. We moved to a rougher part of the city and in that part of the city, um, it's, it's just tougher. Um, last night we were doing a family movie night and um, we start hearing sirens, we start hearing ambulances, we start hearing fire trucks, and right across the street from our house, um, a house was up in flames. And we see, actually see this a lot in our neighborhood um, with, with older homes and, and shoddy um, electrical work. And it was heartbreaking to see this house go up in flames. And, and as I, I went across the street and was watching everything take place, and about 10 minutes later, I see a young man walking down, down the street. He had some Gatorades. He had just bought some cigarettes. And he saw that his house was on fire, and that's where he lived. And I was able to pray with him and talk to him, and Red Cross got him a hotel to stay um, for a few days until he can get back on his feet. But that man saw his home in flames, the place where he lays his head at night, gone. And many times when we give up our home and when we give up our inheritance, it's crushing, but God replaces that with himself. There's nothing that we can give up for God's kingdom. There's no sacrifice that we can make that Jesus will not replace with himself. So there's three things that disciples of Jesus do. There's actually more than three, but for the sake of this text, there's three that disciples of Jesus do. The first is that they embrace suffering. As disciples of Jesus, we, we cling to and we grab onto suffering. The second is that we release control of our lives. That's what a disciple of Jesus would do. And the third is that we pursue the kingdom of Jesus in faith. We embrace suffering, we release control of our lives, and we pursue the kingdom in faith. Many times in this world, and this is a costly, costly mistake, folks do the opposite, us included, where we actually release suffering and we avoid it at all costs. We avoid all discomfort at all costs, and we cling to control of our lives. Man, I've seen so many people in desperate, desperate situations 
because they avoid discomfort and because they embrace control of their lives. And they hold on so tight to their lives that it actually ruins their own soul and ruins the people that are around them. When we think about embracing suffering, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, he said to the young man that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So what he's saying to this young disciple is that he has embraced a way, he's embraced a life where he is enduring suffering. Jesus also said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says that he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. So he was describing to his disciples, he was teaching them that, hey, I am going to suffer. The road that I'm going down actually ends in death. He was inviting them to see that the king that they were expecting did not look like the king that they expected. When we see this, man, we see that we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Man, when I was at University of Illinois for six years as the chaplain, our head coach, Ron Zook, used to preach this to our players all the time. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to embrace suffering. Man, when I first got to Illinois, um, Coach Zook, it was his first year as well, and we lost so many games. Penn State, Ohio State, everybody was just beating down on us. And over and over and over again, he would just preach to our players. He would preach to the staff. He would preach to the coaches. Hey, everybody's got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And when you're able to embrace that, God is able to show you bigger and greater things than you ever thought possible when you embrace suffering in a way that brings him glory. The second thing that we look at is that we actually release control of our lives. Like if, if, we're, if we're holding on tight to suffering, then we're opening our hands and we're releasing control of our lives. In Matthew 8, 21, one of the disciples said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And so he's saying, God, let me just like live out this life and set things up and control things in such a way that in my timing, I'll follow you. It's like, God, as soon as I have my house and then once we grab that lake house and we've got a boat and we've got a couple of jet skis and my business has grown to a certain point and my kids are at a certain point in their maturation and their journey, then God, I'll follow you. And God's saying, no, like it's on my timing when you follow me. In Mark chapter 8, verses 32 and 33, um, Jesus teaches something similarly. It says, it says that once Jesus said, hey, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, Peter pulls him aside in verse 32. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus saying, no, 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 like it's not going to be that way. Like you, you don't have to suffer, you don't have to die. Like, you know, we can do this thing a different way. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And what Jesus was telling Peter was, hey, you are participating with darkness. He's saying you're, you're partnering your heart with the darkness of this world. He went so far as to call Peter Satan. He said, get behind me. 
He says, if, if you're going to retain control of your lives, if you're going to try to manipulate and manage and make things the way that you want them instead of trusting God, you're actually partnering with darkness. You're partnering with the devil. And there, there really is no middle ground. Either we're trusting God and living by faith and releasing control of our lives, or we are partnered with the darkness of this world. Now, now there's many people, there's a lot of people that will embrace suffering. There's a lot of people that will at least control their lives. Like, I mean, you look on Instagram, you look on Twitter, you look at all the different little mantras and sayings and like, you know, you know, things that you can just learn um, that are tweetable of people that just like want to release control and burn some sage and have some crystals and, you know, do their little thing that like, you know, brings positive energy and, and I'm just going to release and invite all the right vibes, you know, like there's a lot of people that will, will talk about embracing suffering and releasing control. Um, one of my favorite movies is coming to America starring Eddie Murphy. Okay. Um, don't watch it on, you know, watch the TV version where it's edited and all that. Um, cause it's rated R. Um, but in coming to America, you see this young prince, okay. In the African c- kingdom of Zamunda, Okay. And what, what he does is, um, he, he has everything that is catered to him. He has everything that he needs. I mean, he wakes up in the morning and there's, there's an orchestra that plays to wake him out of his sleep. You know, people brush his teeth. They put on his slippers, they feed him his meals and his father had arranged his marriage. And so what he did was he actually, um, forsook all of that. He says, I don't need the wealth. I don't need the inheritance. I don't need the home. I don't need, um, the, the arranged marriage. He says, I want to go to America and I want to find true love. So he embraces suffering. He, he lives, um, in Queens, New York and in, in the inner city, he lives in a really messed up apartment. He works at a fast food restaurant. He gives up all the opulence and all the wealth and all the inheritance and all the comfort. He embraces suffering and he releases control of his life and he finds true love. But there's something different about Christians. Like we're not just doing this like for some, for some benefit, um, or for some worldly love. Like we're not just embracing suffering and releasing control of our lives. We're doing the third thing where we're actually pursuing the kingdom in faith. Like there's a faith component to it. There's a salvation component to it. There's an interaction with the living God, um, that's bigger than just positive vibes and good energy. Um, in Matthew chapter eight, verse 22, Jesus said to the young man, he said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. There is an action that Jesus was calling this young man to, um, where, where his life had to actually follow his words, where his life had to actually follow true faith and that there's a change that happens inside of us when, when we do that. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38, it says this. It says that Jesus called the, the crowd to him and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. There's a difference between worldly suffering And there's a difference between a worldly release of control of our lives and a godly release of control of our lives, where we're doing it in faith for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Man, there's a person um, that wrote this um, in Matthew chapter 8. And we, we see the life of Matthew, the, the tax collector. Many, many scholars believe that that's who wrote the book of Matthew. And, and as you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, Matthew is, is the book of the Bible that actually has these words of Jesus where he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests and the son of man has nowhere to rest. And the reason why I think that this stuck out to Matthew is because Matthew did this in faith. Matthew was a tax collector who had cultural connections, political power, financial stability through his, through his um, crooked um, practice of being a tax collector. And he gave all that up to follow Jesus. And Jesus interacted with another man that was very similar, whose name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector just like Matthew. And Jesus approached Zacchaeus and he said to him, hey, I want to be your friend and I want to eat in your house. And Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and shares a meal with him. Now get this, because of Zacchaeus' interaction and his friendship with Jesus, his heart changes. His heart changes. And he says, you know what? Of all of my wealth, I'm going to give up half of it to give to the poor. Then he says, of everything that I've stolen from people, I'm going to give it back to them four times, fourfold. And then Jesus says to him, hey, salvation has come to this house today. And the difference is when we embrace suffering and when we release control of our lives, when we pursue the kingdom in faith in Jesus, our interaction with the identity of Jesus, our friendship with him changes us and empowers us to do the will of God. There's a transformation that happens in us where, where our um, embrace of suffering, our release of control is rooted in the identity of Jesus, is rooted in faith, and it's empowered by him. As disciples of Jesus, we're walking in the authority of God the Father. We're walking in the ways of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. As disciples of Jesus, we are walking in the authority of God the Father in the ways of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that you will receive power by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a gospel witness, to give up things that God is calling us to give up, to release control in places where he's asking us to release control. In Philippians chapter 2, we see that we're following um, the way of Jesus, empowered by Jesus in verse 6 in Philippians chapter 2. It says that he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did this for us. Jesus left his home. He left his father. 
Jesus had everything that he needed in heaven. He had God the Father. He had the Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect community, dwelling in perfect unity and joy and pleasure in heaven for all of eternity. But Jesus decided to be obedient to God the Father, to leave his his heavenly kingdom behind and to come and establish his kingdom on earth, to come and pursue our hearts. Jesus came to this earth and he died a death that we deserve to die. He did that for us and out of love for us. And not only did he do that to forgive us of our sins, but he also did that to empower us to live the same way so that other people can know who God is, so that other people can come close to God. When we think about releasing the control of our homes, releasing the control of where we live, releasing the control of where we go, we're actually doing that so that people can know Jesus, so that we can be missionaries not only to the nations, but also be missionaries in our neighborhood, to our next-door neighbor. When people see us live by faith. In 1 Peter, we see that Peter actually addresses believers as sojourners, as exiles. He's calling back to the Old Testament of folks like Abraham, folks like Moses. That as Christians, we're living in the same way as sojourners, as exiles. People that don't have a home here people that don't stake our claim uh, here on earth, but people that live by faith in Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance We're born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Man, there's no inheritance that you can give up. There's no home that you can give up that God can't replace with himself. He is our inheritance. He is our home. He has prepared a place for us for all of eternity. So any place that God is calling you to sacrifice as you follow him, any home that he's asking you to give up, any inheritance that he's asking you to give up, he will replace with himself. He will meet you there. He will give you a deeper understanding, a deeper experience of his presence. That is our God who is real and wants this world to experience him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are better than anything that we could own in this world. God, for those of us in this room today that are wrapped up with anxiety, whether it be about finances, whether it be about the lack of finances or the desire for more finances, those of us who have lost jobs this year and need to trust you in faith, those of us who are struggling and wrestling with a calling of something that you're asking us to do and stepping out on faith, God, I pray that you would meet us today in our weakness. 
I pray that you would meet us in the place where we lack faith. I pray that you would meet us in the place and help us in our unbelief. Help us in our weakness. And God, I pray that you would change hearts in this room tonight. That we would experience you in a deeper way because of our sacrifice and our desire to live desperate for you for our desire to live dependent upon you. Jesus, you are our home and you are our inheritance. And we love you, Jesus. Amen.